Have you ever heard the phrase biblical worldview and wondered what exactly that means? Are you curious to learn more about how a biblical worldview will affect the ways your children learn and how you will parent them? Do you hope that someone with a PhD who is way smarter than me will answer those questions for us? Well, yeah, me too. And I'm so glad you joined us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. Long before my husband and I had kids of our own, I knew I wanted to be a homeschooling mom. But when my oldest was ready to start kindergarten, I had just had our third child, who we affectionately referred to as the baby monster. Homeschooling didn't seem possible with a kindergartner, a toddler, and a baby monster. I was so thankful that a friend introduced me to BJU Press. Their all-in-one curriculum resources gave me the confidence to homeschool at a time when it didn't seem possible. Their video lessons that, by the way, are engaging and taught by experienced teachers, those videos were a time and a sanity saver for me. Best of all, their K-5 through grade 12 all-in-one curriculum options are rooted in a solid biblical worldview. To learn more about BJU Press, go to bjupresshomeschool.com and see what they have to offer. You'll find their parent-led resources as well as independent learning materials at bjupresshomeschool.com. And tell them the baby monster sent you. Well, Katie, I know you're excited about today's guest because you sent me a message after the BJU uh, Press Summit back in February asking if I'd ever heard Renton Rathbun speak and saying how we really needed to have him on the show, to which, Katie, if you'll remember, I replied, I know, Katie, I told you that a year ago after I heard him speak. <laughs> I, I think you just wanted it to be your idea. Yes. One of these days I'm going to learn to listen to you, Ginger. Um, but I am so glad I got to see Renton speak this year. As Ginger mentioned, BJU Press hosted a summit and invited me to be a part of it. I basically just ate and socialized and listened to Austin speakers and then ate some more. And it was my favorite way to spend three days, honestly. But when I got back home, I had page after page of notes from Renton's presentations. So I just knew that we needed to have him on the show. Yeah, that's how I was too. They were great speakers when I was there the year before, but I had, I was like you, Katie, I had just pages of notes from Renton. All right, just a little bit about Renton. He is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University. He has been a classroom teacher for over two decades, and his teaching experience has included both secular and Christian colleges and universities. Renton and his wife homeschooled their son, Daniel, who is in college now, so they obviously did something right. <laughs> Renton holds a BS in English education and an MA in interpretive speech from Bob Jones University. He also has received uh, an MFA in creative writing from Minnesota State University, an MA in philosophy from the University of Toledo, a THM from Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, and has a PhD in apologetics from Westminster Theological Seminary. Whoa, that is a mouthful. That is a truckload of accomplishments. <laughs> so Ginger, basically Renton worked his way through half a dozen degree programs faster than I worked through a single pair of running shoes. So <laughs> not like that's hard, but Renton, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Well, before we talk about biblical worldview, I want to make sure we're saying your name correctly. It is Renton. Actually, is it Renton or Renton? Renton or Renton. Renton? Renton. 
Well, I I accept anything, but Renton is is fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, Ginger and I have been known to have a bit of a Southern accent, and since we're going to have you on the show a few times, we want to make sure we pronounce your name correctly. That's right. So I'm just going to do my Southern translation. Renton. 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 I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So, so Renton, in your role as the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at BJU, you have the unique opportunity to ensure that the entire school, I mean, every department and every individual course is consistent with a biblical worldview. And so we are very thankful for the work you're doing there. Most of us probably have at least a vague idea of what this means simply based on the name itself, but can you give us a clear definition of a biblical worldview? Absolutely. I mean, it, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, a lot of people kind of think they might have a understanding of a biblical worldview because they might have an understanding of worldview itself. So, the idea of worldview is having your own basic um, beliefs, assumptions, and values that kind of stem from a story you see, you know, through the world, um, a story you use to make sense of the world. And this leads to human culture and things like that. And I think what people believe is that, you know, my beliefs, assumptions, and values are, I have a biblical worldview when those things are biblical. And, um, it was hard to try and figure out how do we get to what our biblical worldview really is um, that isn't just how we are seeing the world or how we use scripture to understand the world. Because a biblical worldview really isn't, doesn't start with me, it's got to start with God. Mm. And then, you know, what does that look like? So we, you know, we put a lot of brain work into it. And what we decided as we you know went through scripture and had a lot of a lot of talks with other faculty and and people we we came to say that well a biblical worldview really is god's explanation um, of god's world um, and we're able to see this through god's word and god's word is for god's image bearers mm. and so a solid definition begins with god um, so god is the one that that has already interpreted the world. So we say it's God's explanation of God's world through God's word for God's image bearers. And then if you reverse that, if you start with the image bearers, then we can see what, how we can use a biblical worldview. So God's image bearers use God's word to interpret God's world so that we can align with God's explanation of the world. What kind of backwards world are you living in, Renton? That is not the current <laughs> cultural trend. Not at all. <laughs> I love that definition. That is extremely mm -hmm. helpful. And I think how we ought to go about every mm -hmm. aspect of our lives, but so foreign to what our current culture mm -hmm. says our view ought to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really do um, think about this a lot, that we have, especially as Christians, I just I was just teaching at a in an apologetics class just a few hours ago and the pressure to try and justify God's word with something outside of God's word mm. is very strong. We are so ashamed of the gospel mm. <laughs> that we that we can't bear 
God's word to stand on its own. We, we feel we need to justify it with something on this earth, with some really good argument, with some really good, you know, uh, finding in the desert where someone found a trinket that the Bible said it'd be there, and now we know the Bible's true. I mean, mm-hmm. we're dying to find gopher wood on a mountain somewhere. <laughs> and, and it's, and you know, those things are fine, but if, if, if that's what we need to believe the Bible, I think we've lost mm. how powerful the Bible really is. Um, the theologian B.B. Warfield said, God's word is not, does not need to be defended. God's word is like a lion. You open the cage and let it out. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have that uh, sense of the power that's in God's word. We we have this nuclear weapon, and we're still trying to fight with sticks and stones. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is great. Well, Renton, as you know, this is a Christian parenting podcast, so we are deeply interested mm-hmm. in how to live and raise our children from a biblical worldview. But the sad reality mm-hmm is that the Christian church is a mess right now, as we just discussed. Research is clear that even within the evangelical church, the majority of professing Christians have a secular worldview. More specifically, the most popular worldview in our culture today is what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And this was coined by sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Linquist Denton in 2005. But the core beliefs of this particular worldview are this— Belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives. People are supposed to be good to each other, i.e. moral. The universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. There are no absolute moral truths. God allows, quote, good people into heaven. And finally, God places very limited demands on people. So in short, God is a cosmic Santa Claus and or cheerleader who cares more about your happiness than your holiness. And this view is broadcast from pulpits throughout our culture and is without a doubt detrimental to the spiritual well-being of churches and the families within them. So Renton, based on the definition of a biblical worldview that you just gave us, how does that help us understand what a parent is supposed to be? What is our God-given responsibility? Mm. Yeah, that's... You know, therapeutic deism is one of the worst, one of the most deadly weapons that that Satan has used um, against the church. And what he has done is he has made a very weak god, and made man the the demigod that will that will be able to steer his life towards his own pleasure. The only person um, from a biblical worldview, God's explanation anyway, is that the only one that steers all things towards his own pleasure is the Lord. And we have tried to pull that away from God and called him selfish and tried to make us the center of what we think will make us happy. I, I talk to my students, you know, and I'm. It's easy to call, you know, kids um, selfish and um, backwards, and they don't understand what God's really saying. And you know, you think all you know, all you want to do is be happy. And and but we as parents uh, run into this when our child um, becomes extremely sick, uh, when our child 
is diagnosed with something we thought our child would never be diagnosed with. When our when our child rebels in ways we thought our child would never rebel, we automatically think, why, God, would you do that? Um, and what when we ask that question, we're often thinking, don't you want me to live an easier life? Isn't it your will for me to be happy? And this is making me absolutely depressed every night. I can't sleep. This is all I'm thinking about. Why would you do this? And we get a dose very quickly of what we think God is all about. Um, what I tell my children, um, and I, you know, I try not to sound like a, um, a puritanical <laughs> dictator of, of theology to my, to my kids, but, you know, I ask them, you know, what do you think God wants for your life? And, you know, they won't say he does. Well, God just wants me to be happy because I have, I have a 22 year old, I have a six year old and a seven year old. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a wide, so swing. wide range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, to my 22 year old, I'm you know when you're you think about all the really good talks you had and and all the the victories, and then they'll say something and you think. I have taught them nothing. Um, you know, so you say, I'll, I'll say to my son, you know, you're 22. What do you think God wants for you? And he'll, he'll name things that really will make him happy. Hmm. And, and I said, it sounds like what you're saying is that God's really here to make you happy, but what is he really trying to do with you? And it takes a lot of work to get our children to understand, it takes a lot of work to get us to understand that God is trying to make us, to conform us to the image of his son. And that conforming is painful and it has to interrupt our pleasure often in order to be conformed to his son, because that's his goal. I mean, if he has to take your life early, if he has to take your ability to walk, if he takes your mind away, all those things, his end goal is that you be conformed to the image of my son, and I will do whatever it takes to get you there, which, you know, as a side effect, will make you very happy. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're, we're doomed to be conformed, but we're, we're really, you know, we don't trust God that this conforming to the image of the sun really will make us happy. I mean, it's, it's interesting that the, the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve came down to Satan convincing Adam and Eve that God was not on their side, mm. that he was really trying to hold back goodness from them, mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't really trust him. You should go your way because you know better. And we, every time we get to those moments where we're like, how could God do this? We're at that moment of how can I trust my God? And we're at that same place where Eve was with, with, with the serpent. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, our, our joy is not dictated by our circumstances. I mean, I know people, mm -hmm. myself included, that have been through some horrific tragedies, and I'm not necessarily happy at those moments, but when we cling to the Lord and we, we 
view him for who he is, he puts this peace and this joy that passes understanding in our hearts. So we can experience not necessarily these, you know, happy, carefree moments, but certainly that deep down joy that only comes from the Lord, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through. And that's something that is hard for a lot of Christians to take hold of. Yeah. To understand that our joy is not based on our situations and our circumstances, but solely on the Lord in our lives. Uh, Renton, you've had the opportunity to teach at the university level, and it's fascinating to hear your stories about how our kids' minds work. Uh, Katie and I are both extremely excited to have you back on the show in a few months to talk about teaching critical thinking to our children, which is a skill that is severely lacking in our world right now. Relating to this topic of biblical worldview, though, can you help us better understand how our children think Yes. Uh, so I'm not like an expert the way some people are, but I I know how my 20-some years of experience has led me to believe about how thinking works. And what's what's difficult is that we we often think that learning starts with data transfer. Um, we we have data. And we need it to transfer into the mind of the of of our kids. And um, a perfect world would be that I could pop open the tops of their little heads and <laughs> dump the dump the data down in there and uh, be done by lunch. <laughs> but what but what we forget is that data does not work that way when it enters our minds. Once something enters our mind. Now, this is an interesting term, and I won't go too deep into this and bore you with all the philosophical jargon, but the, but the word mind is a very distinct word. Mind doesn't refer to your brain. Uh, mind refers to the one using your brain. So you're, uh, I don't know if you've ever had your, your mom or dad say, you know, why don't you use, use your brain? Um, when you were growing up, but there's a sense in which that's really happening. We are using our brain. We are not our brain. Mm. Um, and who we are when we are thinking, although we use our brain, the thinking is much more personal than that. It's what we call in the philosophical world, your mind. And in the mind, we have to make sense of the world around us. In other words, the only way to make sense of the world is to interpret what we're seeing, what we're feeling, what we smell, what we taste, what we, you know, all those things. And that interpretation becomes the way I understand my world. And this is where, um, this is where homeschooling has an advantage over, over traditional schools is that how our children interpret the world can be sensed and understood when they're given that kind of attention that homeschool allows. Mm. Now, you know, this doesn't mean that people at conventional schools, you know, are, are lost and they have no hope. You know, you always have that teacher, right? For me, it was Mrs. Rogers in fifth grade. <laughs> I had Mrs. Rogers, and Mrs. Rogers somehow got me to understand math, you know, how mathematics works. 
And so we had to go through all this division. And if everyone got through it, we could go to McDonald's and get a free tour, which meant French fries. And that was important to me in fifth grade. (laughs) And I was the last human being in that class to get through all the times tables. But Mrs. Rogers worked with me because there's always that teacher that has figured out this is how this kid interprets the world. I can tap into that and get to him. Uh, Mothers and fathers are able to do this with their children. How do they interpret the world? What we find is that in order to understand the world, when that data comes and I need to interpret it into a way that I can understand it, um, it's always in terms of a story that's running through my head. If If my story that's running through my head is all of this came about by chance, Um, Therefore, you know, everything that I am seeing makes sense in a way that's sense for me since nothing really matters. Since, you know, if I'm by chance, I have no real purpose. I have to invent my purpose. And if I want my purpose to be that I have problems with my gender or whatever it is I think I am that makes me special, that's who I am, um, that story is going to is going to change all that information in a different way than someone who has a story running through their head that God created this. Your body is not your body. You don't get to say who you are. God gets to say who you are. All of it changes. It changes the way you do math. It changes the way you do science. It changes the way you learn how to write. Um, It changes all those things based on that story that's running through your head. And when young people understand that story, and if most importantly, believe that story, they start interpreting in a way that aligns with God's explanation of this world. Mm. Mm, that's, that's good. Really, you yeah. know, Katie, actually, I have to go back to uh, to Mrs. Rogers, the teacher there. Yeah. It's too bad that you didn't have Renton. Katie's still uh, <laughs> learning her multiplication facts. I was actually scary. scary. <laughs> homeschooling. Can you give me Mrs. Rogers' phone number, please? <laughs> I think I, I think I need a happy meal in my future as my motivation to learn there my eights. <laughs> oh, sorry, Katie. I just totally threw you under the bus no, with a PhD here. It's fine. It's fine. But I'll, I'll tell on myself a little bit, too, though. I can't, Katie can't do multiplication tests. But I can't spell. My kids actually entertained themselves, Renton, by looking at my grocery list. I'm serious. I, oh, my spelling wow. is like a fifth grade. I mean, tomato. T A M A T O E. Tomato. See, you know, that sounds good to me. Well, I could read it. Ginger and I are a great example of, you know what, anyone can homeschool. Anybody can. If we can do it, anybody can do it. Hey, and both of my kids are great spellers. See? Yeah. See? There you go. You don't have to have 55 that, degrees like Renton to exactly. be a great homeschooler. That's right. Exactly. Although, Renton, I'm sure you're an excellent homeschool dad. Yes. Um, okay, so I do, <laughs> speaking of numbers, I want to go back to statistics here because I think it helps us to realize the level of deceit that's out there, even within the Christian church, and recognize if some of that has crept into our own beliefs as well. So we know from extensive research that evangelicals are widely embracing secularism. According to the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, 52% of professing evangelical Christians reject absolute moral truth. That's interesting. Um, 61% of Christians do not read the Bible on a daily basis. And 75% of people believe that people are basically good. Just so you know, Renton, I 
firmly believe that the majority of our listeners wouldn't fall into this category since we are all about reaching the hearts of our children for the glory of God. And we do that using God's word, plain and simple. Uh, But none of us live in a bubble outside the influence of the secularist culture, especially since it has so widely infiltrated the Christian church. So as we start to understand how our worldview informs every aspect of our lives, how will that help us to see problems in our parenting before those problems become malignant? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, we we live at a time where social media um, has more influence on young people than almost any other um, single thing that, that comes into their lives. Um, you know, you think about, how much time um, a young person has at church or a young person has during Bible time in your homeschooling uh, program. And then you see how much screen time uh, young people have. Mm. I mean, I, I even learned that lesson with my own son. I mean, he, I think he ended up getting a phone somewhere in um, high school and, uh, and that's not saying much because, you know, that was a while back. Um, but, you know, nowadays kids as young as elementary school has has access to phones. They definitely have access to the Internet. Um, you know, f- Facebook says you have to be a certain age to have a page, but no one cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it always starts off exactly as you want it to stay. You know what I mean? It um, Social media always starts off, okay, you just have this page. I know everything that's on it, and this is perfect. This is the way it should stay. And it never stays that way <laughs> um, because kids get more and more understanding of how, the, how it works, and they begin what I call a secret life. Um, be aware of your child's secret life. Um, Social media allows for a secret life. Um, having uh, having access to um, even video games nowadays aren't just you're not just a yellow dot eating other little dots. Now you have entire lives that you can create and interact with other people that are controlling their people. Mm. Um, what is it? Uh, that one where everyone's kind of made of squares, the mind, Minecraft, um, Minecraft, yeah. you know, you can, you can have conversations with, with people while you're playing that game and you, you start to create a secret or your kids begin to create a secret life. Um, the way to keep the world from growing malignant tumors in the, in the spiritual life of your children is to fight with everything you have to keep them from having a secret life. Mm, that's good. Anything that they can keep secret. If if you have a situation where your child yells at you for walking into their room or snooping in their drawers, you are losing the battle. Mm. It should look very normal for you to walk in that room anytime you want, open any drawer you want, look at any kind of electronic device you want, and they should find that as a very normal activity. As long as they don't have anything to hide. Right. right. Yep. They should expect it. It should be part of your work. Uh, 
Snooping is a part of the of the life of a parent that cares. Because you can, you know, if you want your kid to be your best friend, then let him have a secret life and Satan will have his fingers deep in mm-hmm. their in in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you what's waiting for, you know, for them uh, in college. I mean, nowadays we have a lot of people homeschooling because they saw the horrors of what's going on in the public schools. And so they pull them out, they're homeschooling. And then when they get to be a senior, they say, okay, go to, go to the local community college, go to the local university, and you get to stay at home, but you know, you can commute and it feels safe. And it's not a sin to do that, but the question is, are they ready for that? Because what's waiting for them in those public schools, I can tell you, in those public universities and colleges, it's a battle. And it's a battle that's more um, more subtle than you can ever imagine. I spent 15 years in the secular colleges and universities, and I can tell you, they do not start their class with, who's, who in here is a Christian? I'm going to get you. It's who's in here is a Christian. They raise their hand. They say, that's awesome. And they start that way because they don't see Christian kids as the enemy. They see Christian kids as abused, and they want to save them. Mm. And they use very subtle tactics that the kids have no understanding that what's really going on. And they try to put a wedge between them and the parent because they know the parent is the danger of sucking them back into that faith Mm -hmm. that they have. So anyway, I say that to say, work on them early. I mean, if you send them to a secular college university, make sure they are ready, that you've done your work to make sure there's no private life. They're not used to a private life, that they're used to seeing the world as God has already interpreted it. And that becomes so normal in their life that they're able to combat the subtleties they're going to see in those secular schools. Mm, That's so good. Renton, it's been said, we don't have a particular worldview. Our worldview has Mm. us. So once we're able to identify uh, the problems in our parenting, how can understanding worldview help us improve our parenting? Um, There are many, um, if I can put it this way, tactics. Um, I would start with this one, though. And this is going to sound like um, it's going to sound like a cop-out, but that's only because I think we have forgotten the power of it. Um, when, I, when I talk about to my students what makes them believe God's word, um, I give them a very dark picture because I use words that scripture uses. You are dead in your sin. You're not delirious in your sin. You're not, you're not, uh, you know, you're not sleepy in your sin. You are dead. If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, dead people can't answer the door. Um, there is, you are absolutely with zero hope in the world, but God. And that's what Ephesians tells us. You are just like those others where their father was Satan himself, and you indulged in your mind and in your flesh, and this was you. You were dead, but God. When they say, what will make me believe the Bible? 
you know, there's a lot of arguments, there's a lot of apologetical methods and all that stuff, but in the end, what I say, it would take an act of God for you to believe. And I mean that, that the work of the Holy Spirit is so important. And how do we do this? If you keep reading in Ephesians, what you find is you put on all this armor. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on uh, the helmet of salvation. You're grabbing the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And you're doing all this. And the very next word, after loading yourself up with, with all those things, the very next word is praying. I have been convicted of my own parenting that I have not spent enough time on my knees for my children. Um, I have thought that prayer is too weak of a thing. It's something we tell people we're doing so that we can move on with our life or just say something nice. It's kind of like, you know, instead of saying, I'm sorry that's happening to you, we say, I'm praying for you. And we're not praying because we don't think there's any power in it. But that's where all the power is. That's the battlefield. The battlefield is the prayer that we have for our children I look at people who had a lot of bad tactics in their life. They did not, you know, if I were to use those tactics with my children, I'd be in big trouble. They're just, you know, I'd look at their life and I think, your life is a mess. But they were on their knees a lot. And you know those kids that you think, why did they turn out? (laughs) I'm a way better parent than them. And look at their kid. Their kid's fine. (laughs) What's going on? And you find out that these people didn't have the greatest, uh, they didn't read the right books, they didn't have the greatest practices, but man, did they pray like crazy. Hmm. And so I, I have been convicted about that lately, that, you know, when you tell people that we don't spend enough time on our knees, they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, but what's, what's something I can do? <laughs> and I'm saying that mm-hmm. really is something you can do. But, uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways that we can see the world as God has already interpreted it. He has not interpreted it in Americana. You know, I love my country. I spent eight and a half years fighting for my country. I, You know, but I don't believe Americana is Christianity. Hmm. There, are, there is a, there's a divergence where the Americana Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. And we have to start seeing the world as God has told us to see it. And sometimes we have to say things that are hard to say because of that. Hmm. And so those are good tactics. But I would say the very first one is put time on your knees for your children every day. Um, uh, Martin Luther said that uh, he would say, he would have been known to say, because there's a lot of legends, but I think this one's true. Um, that Martin Luther would say, I am so busy today that I'm going to have to spend at least two hours in prayer before I begin. Hmm. Wow. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're so right, Renton. That is the most important thing we can do for our children. Nothing shows love and concern for them more than our willingness to be on our knees praying for them. Because, you know, even even if we did all the right tactics and, and, and even in spiritually, if we're pointing them to the word of God and we're teaching them what the Bible says and we're taking them to church and, and everything is presented to them in the, uh, as a biblical worldview, still, even if we did all of those things perfectly, which none of us are going to be able to do because we have our own sin issues, but hypothetically, even if we did, our children 
still have a choice and only God can change their hearts. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can say that will actually change the hearts of our children. Only God can do that. So that's why we have to be on our knees crying out to God and pleading with him to do that because we can't. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and, you know, for the sake of our listeners, if I could real quick, Ginger, um, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, is one of the absolute best books on prayer I've ever read. Um, so that's, we'll have Heather put a link to the show notes, or to that book in the show notes. It's fantastic. Yeah, you've a, mentioned that one a few times. I, I need I to put that on my list to get. Well, Renton, we sure do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to share your wisdom and insight with us today. Uh, before we close, can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and your teaching on biblical worldview? Um. You know, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I'm eventually going to have a website uh, for the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University. Um, that's going to be later this month that's going to come out. It hasn't come out yet. But um, some really good resources um, are attached to our homeschool page on Facebook at BJ, uh, for BJU Press. Um, and BJU Press has some great great resources there. They have, um, they have some speakers, uh, from, from different conferences they've done that you can watch there and resources, of course, uh, in their curriculum that are very, very helpful. Okay. Awesome. And we will definitely have Heather, uh, link to those resources in our show notes. Renton, how about you leave us with a final word of encouragement? Absolutely. Um, The encouragement would be from Proverbs where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, Having a 22-year-old really makes me understand how the way you see your life kind of depends on whether they depart or not from it. And hold on to, and I, you know, hold on to what God's word says train with all your heart and with all your strength because you know if you do that um you know it's of course there's no guarantees you know when it comes to those sort of things but the bible says that for a reason the bible's not saying that because there's if there's nothing to it there's something to it training them up they might be in a period of rebellion for a while but trust that the lord will will bring them up into adulthood, believing and holding to those things. Thank you so much, Renton and Ginger, and thank you listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge help to us to get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? Well, we invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode. Also on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering a 10% discount on Ginger's audio series called Reaching the Heart of Your Child. This is available in CD format or as a digital download. And this three-session series is based on the content of Ginger's best-selling parenting book called Don't Make Me Count to Three. And it addresses topics such as how to reach the heart of your child, how to give a biblical reproof, 
and the biblical use of the rod. This digital download is perfect for our international listeners because there are no shipping costs. And if you enter the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com, you can get 10% off. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a Corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a Corner. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.